The Baseball Lifer Podcast is on the air. Oh, hi there. This is Don Wardlow, Baseball Lifer in Residence. We're going to have a special guest, Nick Monsanto, a little later in the program. First thing, we're going to go back to last week's podcast. I opened the broadcast by telling you that Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster Dave Wills had passed on on March 5th. At the time, when I did the last episode, I had asked for and not yet received permission from the Rays to use Dave Will's voice, uh, let you hear a couple of his home run calls from the 2020 World Series. Well, I did get permission to use that. I heard from Craig Vanderkam of the Rays, and he said I could use that as we open up this broadcast of the Baseball Lifer. So we're going to go back to the 2020 World Series, Game 4. You're going to hear two home runs that the Rays hit during that game, one of the two games in the World Series that the Rays won. I'd like it to get a little closer here. Here's a swing and a drive, right center field. Back at it goes, bats to the wall. Get out of here. It's gone. Randy Arozarena on the first pitch he sees here in the fourth inning has just gone apple, and the Rays are on the board. It's 2-1. to one. And it's a record-setting ninth home run this postseason for Randy Arozarena. Here's a swing and a drive to right field and deep. Back to the wall, and when this one lands, we are tied! Kevin Kiermaier with his second homer of the World Series. His third home run this postseason. It's 6-6 to here in the seventh. So, home runs by Randy Arozarena and Kevin Kermeyer of the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 4 of the 2020 World Series. The Rays also announced they're going to have a tribute to Dave Wills on April 22nd when the Rays host the White Sox at Tropicana Field. On today's episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast, we're going to have a guest who's a friend of mine. This is an interesting time. We're recording this on March 17th. We've got baseball in spring training. We've got baseball in the World Baseball Classic. And it's that time of the year when baseball and college basketball intersect. You have college baseball, which has been going for a month now. The majors have their spring training. And March Madness is underway. The college basketball tournament on the men's and women's side. And uh, our guest, Nick Bonsanto, has done a little bit of both. He's broadcast baseball. He's broadcast college basketball. And he's got stories to tell about both of those subjects. You'll be able to hear my interview with Nick Bonsanto if you keep it where it is. Back on the baseball lifer, Don Wardlow with you. And with me, a guest, a guy I go back with a ways. Nick Monsanto talking to me from Las Vegas. How you doing, Nick? 
Hey, I'm okay, Dom, but be careful how far back you say we go because that might truly date us because I think we started when Marconi came into the song. To the song. <laughs> now, I went to Glassboro, which is now Rowan, and I learned the game on WGLS, their college radio station. Now, where did you uh, go to college and, and did you begin radio there? Well, actually, you see now, here's where you're going to put me on the spot. You're going to make me see you're definitely smarter than I. I didn't get into the business via college. I did it via a trade school, went to trade school. And then uh, subsequently, I was working uh, by the time I was 18. I was working full time in the business. Uh, you know, you're a New Jersey guy. My first job was at a small station in Mount Holly, New Jersey, WJJZ. Years ago, it used to broadcast, for those that have no clue what I'm talking about, just picture a radio station broadcasting from a small room in the back of a bar. That's where it was. It was wow. in the Washington House on High Street in Mount Holly, and it was uh, right down at the, which was the capital of Burlington County. And literally, we were in a two-room suite in the back of the bar. Well, I spent a lot of lost weekends in Mount Holly between 1984 <laughs> and 1988. Uh, um, was was that around the time that you were broadcasting from well, there? No, I started there in 1981. So I was there 81, 82. I moved to Trenton um, at TTM, where you and I had a lot of contact over the years, years ago. Um but uh, no, I was there in the very early 80s. I tell a story. I know this is baseball, but I, the very first game, Don, that I ever did play-by-play -play on, okay? I always wanted to do it. But, you know, back in the early 80s, we didn't have all sports stations, and there were very limited possibilities. But the first play-by-play -play game I ever did was a high school football game, ran Cocos Valley. In Mount Holly, uh, which has had some amazing players over the years. And in that game, the first game I ever did, here's an old name for you. Irving Fryer. Yes. People, he was he was the quarterback in the first ever game I did, Thanksgiving Day game in 1981. Now, did he go to Nebraska? Yes, he did, and ended up being the number one pick overall, if you will remember. He was at Nebraska with Mike Rogier, another New Jersey product out of Camden. If you're going to start, that's the way to do it. Well, but that was the first, I, you know, I wasn't any good. I probably stunk the joint up, but I, <laughs> but it was the first time I ever called play-by-play. -play. And and that was, that was someone who was in the game. It's kind of funny how uh, over the years those things happened on, you know, um, you're talking about the career and, you know, with the baseball, uh, I did do early on in my career, I did some rider baseball back when Sonny Patera was the head coach. And I had done some rider games and I also got the opportunity to broadcast in the college baseball world series um, regionals. And the year I got to do that, we were, it, it went to Florida in Gainesville. And I'll give you another. I'm dropping names for you just to see. I guess I'm trying to say, look, I'm old now. <laughs> um, is 
one of the guys in that regional is a guy who's been gone from the game for quite a while. It was, I think, pretty good. It was Nomar Garcia Parra. Absolutely, with Jordan okay. Tech. So, so, so he was in that regional that uh, I got the opportunity to broadcast as a very young broadcaster as well. So anyway, I guess what I'm telling you, the long-winded answer to your question, but doing this a long darn time, Don. <laughs> <laughs> now, doing games for Ryder, is that the first baseball that you had, the first experience? Well, I had done some some high school games. You know, I had done some – you know, because, uh, st- you know, back in those days, you know, you didn't really put baseball other than Major League Baseball and, you know, some, you know, minor league games. Uh, there wasn't much baseball on radio. We did, I did some high school championship games over the years early on. Uh, but that was the first foray into uh, something I would say that was, you know, highly competitive and looked at. But I, I Ryder, I did a very limited schedule for them. We only did. When I was in Trenton, we did a handful of games back then um, because, again, there wasn't a, a, a uh, demand for it. demand. That's the word I wanted to use. Hard to come up with these six letter words for me. Uh, when they get past four, I have a problem. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, we did them. And then, you know, when they would go to uh, if they would qualify for the College Baseball World Series, which they had done, uh, you know, the regional uh portion of that uh, they had done quite often and I got to do I got to do the regional as I mentioned the first one in Gainesville Florida I also got to do one for them broadcasting them when they went to Wichita when Wichita had had an amazing program had gone there that was when they had Stevens was the head coach they were they were really uh, a powerful program back then. Say that 10 times fast, powerful program. Man, my peas are popping. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so that was uh, my initial foray into any sort of, uh, you know, baseball. That was the first time I'd gotten to do any, uh, you know, big time games, if you will. Because I picked you up on TTM when I was in Glassboro. In the uh-huh. daytime, we could get TTM. And the station, I'm not sure when you were there, but the station had the Mets in 86. Yes. And I spent the game six of the 86 NLCS, the playoff against Houston. I spent it frantically dial twisting, twiddling the dial between WTTM and the station in New York, which hadn't really become the fan as we know it, which is a blowtorch. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they were on a little mini- miniature radio station, and then there was TTM. And as one would fade out, I would frantically twist the dial because if you remember, that was the game that went sixteen innings. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. That was a long one, and so that's in, another story for another day. Well, you, we won't have those kind of games anymore, anyway. <laughs> in in eighty six, were you aboard up at TTM when that game was happening? No, I was. I was. I would say I'm trying to remember, and again, uh, without pulling out complete uh, <laughs> resume work, I believe I was there uh, doing, if I'm not mistaken, I was doing some news slash sports at the time. I wasn't a board op there. I'll be honest with you. I very rarely have ever done as a board op type of work. I've been lucky that way. Um, and I've I've kind of done that, but I was in and out. Basically, TTM, I would say from if I have my years correct, 
I was in and out of there, but from about 83, 84, all the way until, my gosh, I was in and out of there until the late 90s, you know, because I had worked at various stations in the state. And for some reason, I always seemed to get back to TTM in some way. And I don't know why that happened. It just did. And we were at a disadvantage here in New Jersey. There was no minor league baseball whatsoever. Until 1994, mm-hmm. when the Trenton Thunder moved in, yep, and, and they were a uh, they were a Detroit Tiger franchise when they first came in. And if I remember correctly, the first big player they had there was Tony Clark. Yes, they had him, and then, hey, boy, was he big! <laughs> yes, <laughs> six six feet eight inches tall. Oh, he was monster! He mm. was a monster, and he we was the had- first big player. We had a little tiny blind girl and we brought her and she was 10 years old and we brought her over for a photo op with Tony Clark. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could imagine because he was a big guy. But I, re- you know what's funny about that, Don? 94, um, I was doing work with TTM in 94 and I remember when the Thunder came into, into play and I had many people saying, Nick, you need to go for, take this job. Uh, you know, the play-by-play work for the Thunder. And I, I had talked to, you know, the powers to be at the Thunder. They had approached me as well. And uh, I was one of the people that at the time they did want, but I was not willing to do what it took to be a minor league play-by-play announcer at that point in time in my life, uh, you know, the riding the buses, the making almost no money. Um, And then, of course, the guy that took the job um, has had one hell of a career. That would be Tom McCarthy, um, who took that job and is now, of course, uh, uh, recently signed a long-term extension to be with Philadelphia as their TV guy uh, almost for the rest of this decade. So, I mean, I remember, and he got that, and there are many times I scratch my head and I go, maybe I should have done what Tom did. <laughs> because because he, uh, he, he made it. You know, I tell the story with Tom, too. A funny story with Tom McCarthy, who ended up getting that Trenton Thunder job and now is with the Phillies, spent a couple of years with the Mets in between two different Philadelphia stints, if people will remember. He was the number two guy to Howie Rose for the Mets for two years. Um, But the first game he ever broadcast commercially was as my color commentator on a Trenton State football game. Um, I I used to do games, and there's an old Irishman that used to do games with me, and I don't know if you'll remember from your days listening to TTM, his name was Vince McKelvey. And yes, yes, I remember you working with him. And Vince was my color commentator. And we were doing Trenton State at the time, which is now the College of New Jersey, for those that don't know. Um, and back then, they were a pretty powerful Division Three uh, program. They, they were. They were really good. That was under Coach Hamilton, if you'll remember, for anyone that remembers those days. And um Vince was sick and we, I had a ball game to do and I was just going to solo. I was going to do it soup to nuts. You know, I could do it all. I, as you can tell, just listen to his podcast. I can talk. <laughs> Talking is not a problem. So, but I got up into there and, and at the time 
uh, there was a sports information director. Many people in the Mercer County area would know as Pete Manitas uh, was there. Yes. And Pete, great guy. And he said to me, you don't have Vince. He says, you know, we got this young guy who's really, really good. He was a senior there at the time. He said, he's really, really good. Do you think you could let him sit in with you and do the game with you? And I said, well, let me meet him. And he brought Tom up to the booth to meet me. And I said, okay, Tom, I'm going to give you a chance, but here's the deal. I said, when I'm, I said, you have to shut up by the time when the quarterback is walking up to the center, you will, you have to be done whatever you're going to say. And I, and we'll give it a shot. So here I am telling this guy, now he's gone on to have an amazing career, but his first game was with me. And I remember kind of reading him the ride act. Here was this young kid out of school. And I'm like, you're going to do it this way. I'm telling you, do it this way. And, <laughs> and he did it. And it was a great experience. And I, and I had the opportunity to talk to Tom about that. Oh, about 10 years ago. And I had him on as a guest on the show I was doing when I was down in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I did what we called, I did, I did what I call the baseball tour show. And I went up the East Coast, even though I worked in Chattanooga and I wanted to go to major league ballparks, went to Washington, Baltimore. I went to Philly, New York, did, did the whole gamut. And when in Philly, I had Tom come on live and I said, Tom, do you remember this? He goes, oh, absolutely. He says, and you told me what to say and how to shut up. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that. And now he's been a you know broadcaster for two decades in the, in the big leagues. And, you know, I did something very similar with a man named Joe Block. Oh, and really? <laughs> Joe, Joe Block is one of the voices of the Pirates. And last year he got to call Aaron Judge's 60th home run because Judge hit that against the Pirates. And Joe Block was on the call at the time. He was my, my pupil when I was with the Charleston River Dogs in the year 2000. Wow. And and I pretty much did the same thing that, that you did with Tom McCarthy, only I did it for a whole season. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I did one night. So you had you had Buck with you. Uh, he was in the booth. with. Was he the play-by-play guy for you back then? He was our mostly our pre- and post-game host. But Jim Lucas would uh, bail out every now and then and, and have Joe do a game with me or have Joe do a game solo. Just look where he is. Yeah, you see... You know, I, I when I write my book, there there will be a section in there of kind of people I've touched along the way, whether, you know, ha, you know, that, that, that our paths have crossed and, and people that I think everyone in America almost knows who they are. And, and I look at their journey and I go, you know, our paths crossed. I had this. I, I really didn't have an effect on them, but, you know, that we did do things together. And, and I have a few of those type of people. And you know what, Don? You're one of those people. Well, you know that that's good you to, are. That's good to know, Nick. That's... Well, because you know, Don, when you know, you know, I, I know you don't sit here and toot your own horn on your podcast and such, but you know, when, when you when you got the call to do minor league ball as a blind broadcaster, that was just amazing. And and I remember, um, and and I can't tell you pinpoint exact times and places. But you and I, when I was working at TTM and I was doing rider games and, and a few other, you know, local high school things and, and, and college things like Trenton State in the area, I remember having conversation, conversations with you oh, yeah. very early on and, and how you would listen to some of the games. 
that that I and many other broadcasters would do and how you tried to use our play-by-play to help you. I always felt um, that what you did took so much dedication, so much work, and I don't know that you ever really, I, I don't know if you got the due that you deserve because what you did to get where you were in your career, um, I didn't have to work that hard like you did. And, and I'm really amazed and in awe of the way you did that. And I'm just really, I, I feel blessed our paths crossed uh, at a very early time in your career. That is very kind of you, Nick. And you know, the, the thing is, whether I got the credit I might have deserved, it's, it's all worth it because of the people I met in baseball, the players, the Mike Schmidt, the Don Mattingly, the Dave Winfield, mm-hmm. the broadcasters, the Harry Callis, the Jack Buck, you know, the people I met, the, you know, the Tom McCarthy, Joe Block, you know, th- that's what made it all worth doing. Now, on the Baseball Lifer podcast with Nick Bonsanto, now, Nick, baseball and radio, the 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 game I've devoted my life to and the profession that is yours have mm-hmm. have have undergone a similar problem and that problem is contraction. Baseball did it with the minor leagues. They cut out the Pioneer League and they cut out the Appalachian League and and radio, my goodness, it's cut contracted left, right, and center. There's a very few small town radio stations to try to work for and try to negotiate with and how have you kept yourself in radio i have to be real honest with you don it's difficult okay um and and that's you know often i'll i'll make comments publicly or on social media and such i'll make comments about the state of the industry the radio industry and small market radio today does not allow itself to put local personalities on the air anymore when i when i first got into the business we we keep you know hearkening back to wttm uh in trenton new jersey uh, because that is a place where a lot of my foundation was formed but back then i had the opportunity i could walk into a general manager's office and say you know i wanted to do a local sports talk show this was before the espns of the world were out there and sports talk was considered a viable format. I'm talking about, I did a sports talk show in the late eighties in Trenton, two nights a week. It was unheard of, totally unheard of, but we, I did it. The first show I ever did was, was sports night at the round table. Okay. Corny title, but it's what I did back then. But young Nick Bonsantos or young Don Wardlow's, don't have stations that are willing to take a chance on things like that unless you're willing to pay them to do it. And I think that's a state of our industry that's just awful. Uh, baseball, you you mentioned what's going on with baseball. Hey, we had the pandemic, awful situation. And in the pandemic, teams found out, hey, we don't have to travel our guys. We can just videotape it. They could call from there and not even be in the ballpark. And we had clubs that tried to continue that after the pandemic ended. And frankly, can I just say that sucks? 
Okay, I think it's terrible for the industry. I think it's bad for the game that you, I know, love and devoted your life to. It's a game I love. And I think that the philosophy has just changed so greatly. I'm very unhappy with where it's gone. And it's very difficult for young people today to get where they want to and get the experience they need to get on the larger platform. And what has replaced small town radio is podcasts like this one. Correct. Baseball. um, I initially in 2002, when Bud Selig was talking about contracting the Expos and the twins, initially I thought it was a good idea. He didn't do it. He didn't get it done. And now the much larger contraction, I don't think is a good idea. I don't think it's good taking, you know, 20 or 30 ball teams out of existence, not just for the players, but for the guys who want to work in the office, guys who want to work in the booth. The the corporate effect has taken over in every aspect of the broadcast and baseball industry. I, and I think you, I think you'll understand what I mean. I mean, the, the corporate mentality has taken away from those grassroots training um, places that, that, that people had a chance to hone their craft. Everything evolves. One thing I believe in life is everything evolves. If you as a broadcaster, a person, a father, whatever, a husband, a wife, if, if, if you don't evolve You'll have problems. You need to adapt and evolve your thought process, etc. But the one thing I have a hard time wrapping my arms around is things like you're talking about when when they keep contracting things. One of the other things that that I dislike in radio today is, I mean, if you listen to local radio, uh, not your podcast, but local radio, when you listen to it, I mean, 90% of what you hear is just network programming coming out of ESPN or Fox News or, or you know, Fox Sports or what have you. And that's what 90% of what they run is. And that has stopped serving the public in the way radio was meant to serve the public good because that's where it's supposed to be and it doesn't do it anymore it's not just about me doing a ball game or you doing a ball game it's it's about its sense of community and what is saving baseball for young broadcasters is the internet a lot of teams that don't have radio at all that would have been silent without the internet have the internet and have their young broadcasters learning to broadcast in that way. See, that's the thing. The internet is a fabulous thing. It really is. And you know, Don, 20 years ago, you and I would have never thought of doing what we're doing today. It would, it was really, there's going to be a way for me to be in Las Vegas, Don to be in New Jersey. We're going to record a show. We're going to put it out there and anyone who wants it can just with one click, Listen to our conversation. I would have told you you were nuts and I need to get you into the insane asylum. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That's what we but but think and again, that's where I talk about there are things that are good in the process of evolution in technology and what we do. But I do think there are some things that we we miss. Um, one of the biggest things I miss, and I don't know about you. Okay, but this is just me. When I talk about radio, I talk about sports in general. 
I miss the personality. I think that the guys, the majority of the guys that make it big, I mean, there's very few in, in the national broadcast scene. I mean, there's not a lot of Gus Johnson's done that, that, you know, use their emotion the way he does. There's a lot, m- most guys, they will have their emotion at, at a, at a peak, but they don't bring it for the whole game the way maybe a guy like Gus or, or something like that uh, happens. And, and I miss some of that. Or I mean, Dick Vitale. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And was he incredible or what? Oh, he was great. You want a good Dick Vitale story? I was a young broadcaster at WTTM. And WTTM, years ago, uh, was also an affiliate of Seton Hall basketball. Okay, back when PJ Carlissimo was there, and they—if you remember—if people remember, they'd gone to the, you know, the Final Four uh, and such. Okay, they played Michigan that year. Correct, and we were we were their affiliate in Trenton, New Jersey. You know, because they were a Northern New Jersey team. And I went to I went to the kickoff, the Big East kickoff um, uh, press, you know, press briefing meeting, if you will, where you could go in and we would go with a tape recorder back to, yes, a tape recorder, people. Like I <laughs> think there was, there was this cassette. I, and I can even tell you about when we use these things called reel or reels. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But I went there with my little recorder because I'm going to get audio from PJ and his players so that we could use it in the broadcast throughout the year. Hey, you're listening to the games on WTTM and things like that. Cause that's what we did. And I was getting out of a cab in New York. It was the Grand Hyatt. Took the train in from New Jersey. Got a taxi to go. And I'm getting out. And out of the taxi in front of me is Dick Vitale. Now, mind you, this is probably 1990-ish. Okay? Give or take a year or two. Right on. And Dick's out. And we're walking in. And I'm a young guy. And I got my tape recorder and my little bag. You know, and I'm going to work. Got my microphone in my hand. And Dick's walking in. And he goes, Hey, kid, he said, you want to interview me? I have a new book out. First time he ever wrote a book. I have a new book out. And mind you, Dick Vitale is not the Dick Vitale we know today back in 1990. He's, he's kind of just getting it, getting it going at that point. Yeah. And, and I said, I looked at him and I said, Dick, I'm not here to talk to you. I, I'm here to get stuff inside. I, I'm going to pass. Oh, my Okay, and I'm this young bro. So, so we're inside here, and here's the kicker. Here's kind of the punchline too. So we're inside, and everybody's doing their little interviews with players. And over on this one side is, if anybody knows writing, Hoops Weiss, Dick Weiss, biggest one of the biggest basketball writers in the New York Philadelphia area. Um, Dick Weiss is there, and he's talking with Dick Vitale, and Vitale turns to Weiss. And he points his hand at me and he goes, Hoops, you see that kid? He didn't want to interview me. <laughs> I love and, it. And Hoops says, here's exactly what Hoops says. Yells at the whole floor, whole place could hear it. He says, I want to shake your hand. You're the first guy to ever shut Dick Vitale up. <laughs> Man, you couldn't keep speechless. I don't know that a lot of people get to do that today because a lot of these conferences are done you know, via internet and such. And you don't always get that interaction that you would like at times um, in all of it. But um, yeah, I, I got a bunch of them. Someday they'll be in the book. Now, this, <laughs> this, this is, 
This has been a lot of fun. So this has been the Baseball Lifer podcast. My guest has been Nick Bonsanto, and I'll be back in just a minute. First of all, Nick, thanks a lot. You're welcome, Don, anytime. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast. We've been listening to an interview I did with Nick Bonsanto, an old friend. I knew him in the 1980s, and I follow him now on Facebook because he's out in Las Vegas. Next week, our episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast is going to be available a day early. I'm going to release it on Thursday, the 23rd. I am doing that because on Friday, the 24th, I'm going to spend a weekend in Cooperstown. Once I've made that pilgrimage to Cooperstown and seen Baseball's Hall of Fame, the episode after that, the March 31st episode, I expect to have as a guest, former president of the Hall of Fame, Jeff Idelson. So you have next Thursday, you have next week's edition, and then on the 31st, the last Friday of the month, I will release the Hall of Fame edition where I hope to have Jeff Idelson. So for now, this is Don Wardlow on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.